Podcast Network Asia. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Class Clown Podcast. My name is Chino Liao. How's it going, guys? How have all of you been? Kamusta kayo dyan? Nagustuhan nyo ba yung mga past few episodes? Did you miss me? If you didn't, it's fine because I missed all of you. My unknown, nondescript listeners. Sino naman kayo, I've missed all of you, which is why I'm bringing you a brand new episode. Pero mamaya na yun, you have an hour to listen to the rest of that amazing, amazing interview. Uh... I haven't been putting out a lot of solo pods lately, uh, particularly because I haven't had the time to do so. One of the things that happens when you come from a five-month trip away is that there's also five months of cleaning and chores to do. <laughs> and uh, contrary to popular belief, I know that pero wala kaming made. So that is why you can just imagine the state of distress in our home. I mean, there were organisms in my room just partying it up. Nag-evolve na sila. Ganun nakatagal. <laughs> yung, yung alikabok naging ipis. Diba? <laughs> and it's just all, all states are wrong and disgusting. And it took me, took me three days to clean all of it up. And... Fortunately, natapos ko siya, but unfortunately for me, di pa yun siya malinis kasi ang dami talaga. It's just a combination of the elements and my laziness is really that has made it very difficult for me to move on. Which is why I haven't been putting out a lot of episodes. Uh, that's that's on me. That's my bad. Um, but I've taken a week off to clean my house or my room at least and my bathroom and we connect our internet and now all's fine you know for listeners of the wrestling wrestling podcast you may have seen me edit free on today's episode dahil a wala na ako sa putang inang quarantine which we will get to in its own little pocket uh podcast but b also because nakabit ko na yung internet namin who would have thunk na wala magbabayad pala ng bills pag wala na five months that's, a, that's an interesting discovery that I should take note of when I leave again in a few months. But before we get to any of that, I would like to talk about today's guest. Today's guest is one of the first Filipinos to turn an artwork into an NFT. If you don't know what that means, then this episode is perfect for you. Because I don't know if I've told you this, guys, but I'm not a very smart person. Uh, and in fact, I didn't even know what cryptocurrency actually was. A lot of people might just say, Pwede mo naman i-Google yan. Well, that's the power of having your own podcast. You can get people to Google it for you. <laughs> or you can just talk to people who know their shit. Like my guest for this week, Mr. Luis Buenaventura of Bloom 
X. So now, without further ado, let's jump into this episode with Louise, all about cryptocurrency. All right, time to jump in to our guest for this week. He is one of the co-founders of Bloom X. He is also an accomplished author with many, many books about cryptocurrency and one of the very first NFC artists around the world, if I'm not mistaken. What an honor it is to welcome Luis Buenaventura to the Class Clown Podcast. Hi, Luis. Hey, Chino. Hey, guys. Good evening. Very happy to be here. Thank you, first of all, for taking time out of your day. Is that correct? Were you one of the first NFC artists around the world? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a long time ago. So this was like the early part of 2017. We didn't even really call it NFTs back then. The terminology hadn't been figured out yet. And I just kind of got lucky. I joined a project that happened to be the first NFT art project. NFT, the there we go. I keep saying the yeah, wrong yeah, letter. Yeah. First of all, let's start with you. You are the expert here, but you're also an artist. So how did you make the jump from art into crypto? Well, I went to art school, UP right. Diliman, fine arts, a long time ago. I'm not going to reveal what my student number was. <laughs> when I graduated from school, I decided that I wanted to become a web programmer. And kind of, I ended up becoming very deeply entrenched in the world of e-commerce, social networks, all of that stuff. Eventually finding cryptocurrency about seven years ago and turning that into the business that kind of, you know, eventually became BloomX. Because of my background in art, but also kind of coupled with my business interest in cryptocurrency, I found myself kind of in this very interesting intersection, which is kind of what you were referring to earlier, NFT art because my two great passions, art and crypto, had somehow kind of aligned very unexpectedly. I found myself kind of in a very interesting spot where I could do both pretty well. And here we are. That's kind of how I ended up where I am. Now, being an artist and one of the founders of a crypto company, you can answer all these questions very easily, better than I can Google in fact. Explain to me in the most basic term, if you can explain it to a child, but like a really dumb child, you know, your child that got <laughs> held back in school, ganun ka basic your explanation. What exactly is cryptocurrency and how does it work? All right. The simplest way to say it is that it is just electronic money. And you've already been using electronic money if you were in the lockdown and you were using Gcash or Paymaya. You've already seen a form of electronic money. The only difference with crypto, and I guess that's the part that always trips people up, no? Because they use the word crypto and like, oh, it's some kind of hidden, secret, mysterious thing, right? Because that's what the word crypto actually means. It means secret. The difference really is just that when you have money in your Gcash wallet, ultimately, there is a company behind that that is kind of guaranteeing your pesos. Right. You have a thousand pesos in your Gcash balance. Ultimately, it is Globe, Gcash, or Mint, which is the company that owns Gcash. That's the entity behind it that is kind of vouching for your money. With cryptocurrency, there is no such thing. There's no what we call a central authority. There's no such thing as a central authority that is vouching for it. The only thing that is vouching for it is mathematics and electricity. And those two things together are weird because people are not used to concepts like that, no? 
It's a very novel way to think about money. Is it possible for money to be backed by nothing but math and electricity? So that's kind of the question. And that is kind of the reason for cryptocurrency's existence. Is any of this stuff possible? And it was first invented in 2009. We've been doing this grand experiment for about 12 years now to varying degrees of success. The, the cryptocurrency that most people will know or will have heard of is Bitcoin because that was the first one. I think the correct way to think about this is that it is a grand economic experiment. We are trying to see if it is possible to define a type of money that has no central authority that is backing it. A type of money that has never existed in this world. Because until this point, every other type of money, Philippine peso, US dollar, Chinese yuan, Japanese yen, all of that stuff. There is a central authority that is issuing it, that is controlling it, that is managing the inflation rates and all of that stuff. So we're trying to do something that is completely outside of the box with this. And that's kind of how we ended up with Bitcoin, because we saw some big errors and big flaws in the way that normal money, traditional money is being managed. You know, if you just observe the economy of the Philippines and we're looking for another way. Right. So it is the alternative, the, the main alternative to all of the mistakes that we've made as the governments, as societies and all of that stuff. Now that you mentioned that you are trying to create a new form of money, what is the end goal of this experiment? I mean, experiments have an end, but you want to achieve something. So what does cryptocurrency attempt to do? We want to be able to create a store of value that is the best the world has ever seen. I'll give you some very specific examples. Now, this is the part of the interview where I have to reveal how old I am. Most people don't really remember how much the US dollar to peso exchange rate was the year that they were born. So I was born in 1981. And at the time, you could buy one US dollar for seven pesos. Okay. And as you know, it is now about 48 pesos to a dollar. So one way to say what has happened in the span of my 40 years on this planet is that the peso has lost about 80% of its value against the US dollar. What does that mean? Well, it means that, you know, when my parents had me in 1981, they started saving for things like my college education, you know, my early adulthood, all of that stuff. But they were being punished year on year because the peso was losing value year on year. We call this a bunch of different terms. Sometimes we call it inflation. Sometimes we call it quantitative easing, a whole bunch of different terms for this stuff. But generally speaking, all it is, is that the value of your wealth is going down over time. As a society, we've accepted that for most of our lives. That, well, I love, that's just how prices work. Right. A jeepney ride used to cost one peso 50 centavos. Now it's about eight times that, right? And we just accept that that is the case. Now, there's something fundamentally wrong with that. Because if you are trying to save your money, you know, the thing that our parents always tell us, you need to save your money for a rainy day. It doesn't actually make sense because you're saving your money, but every year that that money sits in your bank account, it loses value at a rate of about four to 5% per year. Your pesos are a bad store of value because as we've seen, provably, historically, it's always been on a downward trend. Yung value niya against other currencies like the US dollar and things like when you buy stuff, what we call the consumer price index, your pesos are worth less every single year. 
Now, what we're trying to do with Bitcoin specifically is we're trying to make a store of value that is the other direction. It's actually going up in price over time, meaning you're rewarded for saving it, right? Because if you hold on to something, what you want to do is spend it in the future. Ideally, you're going to be able to use it for something bigger, more ambitious. That's the reason why you want to save something. That's what we're trying to do with Bitcoin. We're trying to make a store of value that actually makes sense as a store of value. Okay, very interesting here. Because I am of the understanding that money right now, the money that we have right now, is backed by, like you said, different things. About factors in the government or older people will say it's backed by gold in Fort Knox. As far as the US yeah. dollar is concerned. For crypto, you're basically being backed. The value comes from the math and from the computers that the math operates upon. So how safe is that concept in terms of Bitcoin maintaining its value? Is right. that the safest way to go about it? Because we always hear about these things. Bitcoin is worth $100,000 today, and then the next day it'll be worth about a dollar. So how stable yeah. is it? couple of things just right off the bat. The first thing is that the US dollar hasn't actually been backed by gold since the 1970s. They officially removed themselves from the gold standard in the 1970s. That was okay. called the Bretton Woods Act. That's actually a very historic event and they were kind of the last country in the world to have done that. No country is actually backed by gold anymore. So really money, you know, pesos and dollars and stuff like that, that's actually backed purely by, you know, kind of whatever the government says it's backed by. There's okay. no technical thing that's really backing it anymore these days. Now, let's go back to Bitcoin. So your question was, is it stable? It's not. It's not. One of the most interesting things about it really is that let's not forget that it actually is the experiment. So we're trying to figure out how to make this new thing. Your example, you know, it could be $100,000 a day and maybe $1 tomorrow. No, no, we're not talking like that yeah, kind yeah, of massive movement. Yeah, yeah. We're talking at most... Like on average, maybe 3 to 5% per day is kind of the movement. Okay. And that's in either direction. It could be going up or it could be going down. I'll give you some very specific examples again. When I first started in cryptocurrency, in Bitcoin, back then because they just called it the Bitcoin industry because there weren't any other cryptocurrencies. So back when I started in the Bitcoin industry, the cheapest Bitcoin I ever saw was $180. Right? So less than 10,000 pesos. The current price is, well, it's about $40,000 or 2 million pesos. In the span of my career working in the Bitcoin industry, it's increased from roughly $200 to about $40,000. So it's about 20,000 times the increase. Now, granted, within the seven years that I've been working in this industry, it was all over the place with its price. That $200 became $1,000, became $400, became $3,000, became... $1,000 all over the, like really just up and down, up and down, heart stopping roller coaster ride. And that's the Bitcoin life, unfortunately. It's not stable at all. However, if you zoom out and you look very big picture, there's no investment that you could have made in a seven year span that would have given you a 20,000% return on your investment. Other than if you had started a company and that company happened to be named Google. Right. or Facebook or something, right. right? I mean, those types of multipliers don't happen unless you are building a business that happens to just do bonkers. In the case of Bitcoin, all you had to do was buy one Bitcoin. 
back in 2014 or 2015 when I was kind of getting into this stuff professionally. It's a very interesting scenario to look at. And it's certainly very scary. A lot of my closest friends, you know, kind of they look at it or they consider getting into it because they're, I mean, they know me, right? I mean, they know that I'm a big crypto person, so they give it a shot. Some of them find it just way too wild, an investment. Because you don't know if your money is worth more or less right. than it used to be, right? So nakatakot yun eh for most people. Right. What I'm saying is that you have to bear all of that in mind when you enter this space. Some people kasi are very excited by the idea that the price changes so much because that means it gives them trading opportunities, right? Because if I bought Bitcoin today at, I guess it's about 2 million pesos right now, and then I sold it tomorrow and it was 3 million pesos, well, then I've made 1 million pesos right there. And then what if the price goes down after that? Maybe it goes back down to 2 million pesos. Well, then I'll buy that Bitcoin back. So now I have one Bitcoin and I have 1 million. That's the kind of mindset that a lot of people are kind of thinking about when they first think about this stuff. Now, oh, okay, if the price moves, then there is an opportunity for me to make small profits. I mean, obviously, I made some exaggerations with the price movements back in my example, but there are opportunities for me to make some money in between those ups and downs. And that right there is the crypto trading industry. That's how all of that stuff has come about. Right. First of all, I'd like to say that it's about 5 a.m. where I am at right now. I picked the wrong time to be talking math with somebody smarter than I am. <laughs> I totally understand. I get it. Because a lot of people like to talk about Bitcoin as this get-rich-quick kind of deal. Where they buy one Bitcoin and then they earn a fortune. So how realistic is that goal? for somebody who wants to enter this kind of business, this kind of trading? The first thing I will say is that it's really not for everyone. Because again, it is a very fast moving market. And for a lot of people, they can't stomach the roller coaster ups and downs. Like it's very easy because to celebrate, we actually have a term for it. We call it number go up. When the price goes up, it's very easy to celebrate that. But the thing that is tricky is when price goes down and it goes down below your cost. Like if you bought your first Bitcoin at whatever, 2 million pesos, for example, and now it's 1.5 million, are you going to stomach that 500,000 peso loss? Or are you going to sit and pray and hope that the price will eventually recover? Like I can't answer that for someone, right? That's a very subjective, very relative kind of question. I will give you some insights though about kind of how long you should aim to be able to hold stuff like this. Bitcoin has this thing called seasons. When it's cold, when it's winter, the price is crappy. It's very down, it's always going down, or it's not moving upwards, stuff like that. If it's summer, it's hot, that means the price is going up naman. Typically, these seasons come and go every three years. Two to three years of winter and then one year of summer. Here's the part where it gets a little complicated. If you're going to buy your Bitcoin now, you should be willing to hold it for at least a four-year period because that is how you maximize your potential profit. Uh, And that's kind of maybe the only thing your viewers need to remember. If you buy now, if you buy at any point, really, you should be willing to hold it for at least three to four years because otherwise... There is a likelihood that you are going to be forced to sell when the price is down. It's not for people who are trying to get rich fast. That's the bottom line. If you need your money in six months, if you need to see profit in six months, might not be the right investment for you. 
the market moves very fast. If you're thinking like, oh, I want to make my money five times larger than it is right now, you need to be willing to wait for that. It's very interesting. Now we've talked about Bitcoin in terms of it being a part of this larger product of cryptocurrency. We have different kinds. You have Dogecoin, all yeah. that. So what differentiates it from the other brands? Like, Why are there so many different kinds now? What makes right. them stand out from each other? Right. So let's use your example first. Uh, Dogecoin is kind of how we say it now these days. It used right. to be Dogecoin because right. it, like, it's now just Dogecoin. Dogecoin. I guess it sounds nicer. Yeah, it sounds nicer when you say it on Bloomberg or yeah, it, it sounds or whatever. Where did that even come from? The thing about Bitcoin kasi, is that when it was invented, they shared the code with the world, meaning it's open source. They actually revealed to the world how that thing was built. And that was kind of part of the security also. You want to be able to have people review it and check that it's all kosher. So they revealed it to the world, they shared it, they said, do whatever you want with it. And what ended up happening was that people started making their own versions of Bitcoin. A couple of years after Bitcoin was launched, this one founder looked at the code. He said, you know what? I'm going to make some tweaks to this thing. I'm going to make it slightly smaller. I'm going to make the units slightly more. And then I will call it Bitcoin's baby brother, Litecoin, right? Now, someone else saw the Litecoin work and said, you know what? I'm going to make it even smaller than that. And actually, I'm just going to give it a cute logo. And that's how Dogecoin was made. What it is, is code being remixed and shared and kind of changed and altered and modified. Pero underneath it, it's still running kind of the core engine of Bitcoin. Ooh. Now, in those three examples, Bitcoin, Litecoin, Dogecoin, those are literally all kind of roughly the same code running underneath it. There's a whole slew of other cryptocurrencies that completely different. Naman. Those are like the Ethereum's of the world, which is, I don't think we have time to go through all of them. But right. with those in particular, iba na yung natin. it didn't come from Bitcoin. Those are like their own thing. But generally speaking, Bitcoin paved the way, opened the doors into the whole cryptocurrency thing. And then many other programmers, many other mathematicians decided to kind of throw their hat in the ring and say, hey, I want to experiment also. But instead of just participating in the grand Bitcoin experiment, I'm going to experiment with my own thing. I'm just going to build my own coin. I'm going to see if the market accepts it and we'll see. So that's kind of what's happened. And on average now, every single day, about three new cryptocurrencies are launched every single day. Wow. Okay. We are now at about 10,000 different <laughs> cryptocurrencies in the world. I can name maybe 200. I don't even know what the other ones are. I can't keep track anymore. And I do this professionally. It's just one of those things now. No, it turns out when you make technology free, lots of people use it. And that's kind of what's happened there. Right. You started with the one thing and now there are 10,000. Correct me if I'm wrong, but in terms of traditional money, when you put something new into the market without actually being able to back it, that's how you lose the value. Why is that different with Bitcoin? Here's the biggest difference. We do have to talk about the relative prices. 
at the moment kasi Bitcoin is the most expensive of all of the cryptocurrencies and by total value of all of the Bitcoins in the world we're talking about I believe it's about 800 million dollars yung oh, sorry okay. 800 billion dollars not wow billion. Okay. yeah yeah it's 800 billion dollars yung total value ng Bitcoin right now all of the other cryptocurrencies combined is only about that same size Meaning, the copies of Bitcoin, if you will, or all of the other competitors, they're all quite small in value. Bitcoin is the one that has kind of really captured the imagination of the world. How did it get to that price in the first place? Well, back in 2010, the price of Bitcoin was less than one cent US. Some guy bought a bunch from some other guy and he said, hey, I'll pay you one cent US and that set the floor price. And then over time, other people would say, hey, I'll buy that Bitcoin from you not that you paid for with one cent. I'll give you one and a half cents for it. And so on and so forth. The market just kind of kept finding a new price as time went on. So we went from less than one cent. I think we broke a dollar back in 2011 and then all the way up to where we are now. So the price is a product of people being willing to pay for this price. The people who are buying Bitcoin right now, they're paying $40,000 for it because wow. they believe that it's worth it. That is the most pure form of an open market that you can find because it is people all over the world who are making these bids. This is very interesting to me. It really is. But more with the crypto talk after we hear about the many ways you can help the Fast Town podcast. More with the Class Clown Podcast in a bit. But first, let me tell you about the many ways you can help this little podcast out of mine. Starting, of course, by shopping on Lazada. That's right. Lazada is having its biggest mid-year sale. Ang daming sale sa Lazada. But we're not complaining, especially if by shopping, you can help the Class Clown Podcast out. How? It's very simple. All you have to do is log on to podlink.co slash shk. Again, podlink.co slash shk. That will lead you to your Lazada app and you can add to cart from there. Now, for every successful add to cart and checkout that you do via that link, I get a little something something to help out the Class Clown podcast. Now, if you're after more important fares, diba? Gusto nyo no, ng, ng Alexa Echo, diba? Or ng Amazon Kindle. Ah, I think you know where we're going. That's right. Amazon is now also part of the link deals. If you or a friend from abroad want to get the latest things from Amazon and you want to shop more and smile more, as their current slogan says, then you can use my link, podlink.co slash S6O. Again, the link, podlink.co slash S6O. That'll lead you to Amazon. And again, for every successful ad to cart and checkout you do via that link, I get a little something, something from Papa Jeff Bezos. Keep calling him Papa because I hope he'll adopt me one day, even if I am 34. <laughs> but I got a little, little something, something from him. He might fly me to space. And from there, 
you can help the Class Clown podcast out. Now, if you have a podcast, if you yourself have a podcast, then you should be a member of Podmetrics. Podmetrics is the super easy, super fast way to monetize a podcast. You can track your podcast ranking on there, your listenership, how it's doing, and get yourself some sweet, sweet links like I have right now. All you have to do is sign up on podmetrics.com and use my referral code CLASSCLOWN. Again, the referral code is CLASSCLOWN, no spaces. If you are an advertiser and you want to work with me and you want me to murder the names of your products, <laughs> then all you have to do is log on to podmetrics.com slash advertisers. Again, podmetrics.com slash advertisers but enough chit chat let's jump back in to this episode of the class pound podcast back on the class clown podcast with luis buenaventura of bloom x talking all things crypto now, Luis, you made your mark in the crypto world as an NFT artist, okay? So now that we've covered as much crypto as I can handle in my brain system, what is NFT? today, like something was turned into an NFT. What is an NFT? What is fungible? Can you explain yeah. this to me in as simple yeah. way as possible? Sure, sure, sure. The first thing I will say is the only part of the NFT acronym that's really important, it's not the N or the F, it's the T. The T means token. Okay, so what is a token? If you grew up like me in the 80s and 90s, you used to go to an arcade, you used to buy tokens, and that's the token that you used to play the games, right? right. It's not the actual money, it's just a representation of your money. NFTs are the same. It's not the actual artwork, it is a representation of your artwork. What does it represent though? Well, it represents ownership in your artwork. Now, in order for that to kind of like, well, okay, so why does it need to represent ownership, blah, blah, blah. The first question you need to ask yourself kasi is, how do I prove that I own a digital something? So let's go back to examples of, let's say, a music file, right? So a song. How do I prove that I own this song? Well, these days, typically it means that you have an iTunes account, and you paid the dollar to buy that song, right? So actually what it is, is it's Apple saying that you own this song, right? That's actually what's going on there. You have a central authority called Apple right. and they are saying that, you know, okay. uh, Chino owns this one song. How do I prove that I own something digital if there is no Apple, if there is no central authority. So it kind of goes back to that same question. Right, yeah. How do we think about the world if we don't have that central authority on right. top that's telling us how everything works? So, okay, how do you prove it? In my case, I do a lot of art on Photoshop or you know whatever the art program that I use is. So I, now I have a JPEG of this art. I'm very proud of it. I spent like hundreds of hours on it. Now I want to try to make some money off it, right? I want to sell it to a patron of my work, maybe a fan, maybe a friend, whatever, right? I want to be able to sell it. But in order for me to sell it, I have to be able to prove na pag binenta ko siya sa kanya, 
they have some proof of ownership that this JPEG is the official version of the artwork made by Luis at this time. This is the title, blah, blah, blah. It is no longer in Luis's possession. It is now in the possession of the buyer. And there was some kind of commercial exchange where Luis received some money in exchange for this artwork. How do I prove that that has happened? Well, that is the problem that NFT art is trying to solve. The NFT, the token that I was talking about earlier, that is a representation of the ownership of that piece of artwork. The headlines that you've seen are probably like, you know, this band has made an NFT of their album, stuff like that. So people like, you know, everyone from Kings of Leon to Grimes to Eminem to Rockle the App all have NFTs now. So what are they actually doing there? What they're actually doing is they have created a proof of ownership for one of their work and they've sold it online to a buyer. The most basic way to think about it is literally just a way to show ownership of something. Now, the reason why it's so important is because digital artists, so me, I'm a digital artist. I've never touched a paintbrush. I hate working with canvas. Like all of my work is pixel pushing. I have never had a way to sell my work and have a proof of ownership associated with it because that has never existed before. The only way I could make any money from digital art is if, you know, I sell t-shirts on Threadless because, you know, and I try to sell it to like a hundred people or something to make a little bit of money, right? That's the only way I could do it before. Now I can actually prove that someone has bought the piece of work from me at a particular price. They now have ownership of it. What can they do with that? Well, they can sell it to someone else. So they can also make investment in my work and then potentially make some money on it in the future. This is what happens in the traditional art world, but it has never been possible in digital. And now it is. And that's why it's so important because the world is full of digital artists, especially now during the lockdown. A lot of people are just at home working on the tablets and stuff like that. Now they have a way to actually make some money. From what I'm understanding here is that if you sell, say, a music file, they sell you a song, I have the NFT of that song, does that mean that it can no longer be sold on iTunes or people can no longer have the same copy of the song? Is it just a rights thing? Now, if you play it, you have to pay me. The thing about the music, it is very specific to what the artist says. In the case of Eminem, for example, the music that he put in his NFT, that was unique. So in other words, it was never released as an album or as a song or whatever. I'm not quite sure about the details about the Grimes one or the Kings of Leon one. But generally speaking, what it means is that the owner of this NFT now has the ability to resell it to anyone else. It does not give you commercial rights. You can't like sell Kings of Leon's album back out to iTunes. That's not, that's right. not how it works. Uh, yeah. So you're buying the rights to possess it, not to resell it. Ibayon. That's kind of roughly how it works. And it's kind of the same for visual art also. So the people who buy my artwork, they have the right to sell it to anyone else, but they do not have the right to put it on t-shirts and then sell that. Right. Iba na yon. That's a different type of agreement. Yeah. Essentially, you're empowering art collectors and mga people who are aficionados of your work without having to go through a government entity or corporate entity. Kumbaga, is that? Yeah. One of the most important things about it is that royalties are automatic. What does that mean? Let's say you, Chino, have paid me $100 for right. my NFT, right? So I'm very thankful. 
I've given you the token, it's now sitting in your collection. Now, let's say that you resold it to, I don't know, Ronster, for example. Right. And Ronster was very generous. He's a fan. He paid $200 for it. Now, you, Chino, you've made 100 bucks back on your investment, right? right? Now, 10% of that $200 actually goes back to the artist, me, $20. Yeah. That's automatic. And that is in perpetuity, meaning if Ronster then sells it to someone else, I will get royalties on that one also. If that person sells it to someone else, I'll also get royalties on that one. So it is a recurring source of revenue, assuming that your artwork is changing hands. I mean, obviously, right. hindi ganun kadali yun. The idea that you now have a way to make a little bit of extra money as an artist. By the way, like if I thought that being an artist was easy in the Philippines, I wouldn't be so passionate about this, but it's freaking hard, man. Like It's hard <laughs> to find people willing to pay for your work. This whole idea that there's now a platform that is dedicated to helping artists make a living from their art, that's insane. Like, I need to be part of that because it's such a sea change from what has been possible prior to all this. It's never been possible. Like, most digital artists, these guys are freaking amazing artists, but they end up working for ad agencies. They right. end up working in design studios because they don't have a choice. It That's the only way they can make money for, from their artwork. That's the situation that I'm trying to, I hopefully like I do live streams like this or whatever. I try to impart onto people that there is a way to make some money from your artwork where it's your artwork itself that you are selling. You're not selling merchandise. You're not doing commissions, whatever. It's whatever your own ideas are you can find a way to monetize it using NFTs. You're giving me ideas on what to NFT now. With an there NFT, my 15 dick jokes and see where it goes. <laughs> and see what I can do with that. Gandang idea lang Kasi it empowers artists. Eh, it empowers yeah. creatives who, who have to, you know, I'm a creative myself and so I understand the grind involved in having to work on something that you don't really care about. It's an interesting idea in the larger scale of things, but because we've talked about where cryptocurrency has its roots in and how it tries to avoid government and corporate oversight, is crypto essentially here to replace traditional money or is it not related at all? I will say that it's meant to be an alternative, but I don't think it will fully replace it. So here's the way I like to look at it. And this is kind of the way I manage my own finances. I keep the bulk of my, I call it my wealth. I mean, it's not like I'm super rich, no, but like <laughs> I keep the bulk of my wealth in cryptocurrency, right? And then I always have a spending fund in peso. Why do I do that? Well, because unfortunately I can't pay rent in Bitcoin. Right. I can't pay for my credit card bills in Bitcoin. So what I end up doing is every month, I take a little bit from my Bitcoin savings and then I turn it into peso and that's how I spend. That's the method for a lot of, you know, crypto people. They turn it into a, a savings fund that they can draw from. Thank you. We're talking about crypto in the context of the Philippines here. Now, the Philippines is really not a banked nation. A lot of Filipinos out there don't have bank accounts, right? Lots still keep their money under their mattresses or in garapons, right? With this new idea of cryptocurrency, is there a way that this helps those Filipinos who don't believe in banks? 
the pandemic actually kind of paved the way for this because the way that Gcash and Paymaya have become kind of the predominant ways to send money in this country, it wasn't like that in 2018. It was like this big explosion in 2020. Now suddenly everyone has Gcash. If you think about Bitcoin, like what it is, it is basically Gcash, but without the whole globe, mint, or Banco Central angle, uh, like one level above it. I think it's possible for Filipinos to get into this stuff very directly. You know, if you believe some of the research, there is about 10 million Filipinos who are already using cryptocurrencies, supposedly. Hey, wow. It's not a small number. Unfortunately, it's very hard to check kasi, like what that actually means, right? I can tell you that with every single year that I've been working in this industry, it feels like there's more and more. When we started BloomX, this was earlier in this year, actually, when we launched our application, our waiting list was at a thousand people within the first two days because there's enough people who are interested in this stuff to immediately understand that having, you know, kind of a product like what we're doing is going to be very useful for them. I think that a lot of Pinoy's are already kind of thinking about this stuff. I mean, obviously there's a lot more out there. I feel like this generation is just going to leapfrog the whole bank thing, to be honest, like just go directly to cryptocurrencies, mobile money and all of that stuff. Let's say I have my first Bitcoin. It gets the value that I desired from it. It's been four years. It has that value. What can I do with it other than sell it to another person? Like, can I use it to purchase goods on the way to something? What is the actual purpose of owning it other than as an investment? That's kind of why we call it a store of value. Currently, the best way to use Bitcoin is as a store of value. So you don't spend it. If you wanted to absolutely wanted to spend it, yeah, there are ways to do it. You could buy 7-Eleven GCs with Bitcoin. You can buy Lazada coupons or Lazada coupons. Yeah, that's true. I Oh yeah, you know what? Actually, before I forget, I should mention also, when we say you can buy Bitcoin, we don't mean that you actually have to buy one whole Bitcoin, which is 2 million pesos, right? So it's pretty expensive. Right. The smallest amount of Bitcoin you can buy is 500 pesos. You can start small. You don't have to go all the way up. Very, very few people actually own one whole Bitcoin. Most people own fractions of a Bitcoin. And that's enough. It doesn't have to be a lot. Like a couple hundred pesos here and there, once a month for a year. Just try to do that. That's kind of how we try to recommend it to people. You don't have to spend a lot. Do what you can. Treat it as piggy bank. That so, you don't try to check the value every freaking minute because that's just going to drive you crazy. Right. Yeah. Okay. So the goal essentially is to not own one Bitcoin, right? That's not. It doesn't like, have to be. Right. It doesn't okay. have to be. It doesn't have okay. To be. It's actually getting a lot clearer for me right now. Okay. I'm interested. You have me hooked. And I am listening mm -hmm. to this episode as a newbie to the crypto world. What mm -hmm. can I do to start? Like, where can I go? to start purchasing bits and pieces of Bitcoin? Do I need to fill up forms? What do I need to know? Right. Okay. So the first thing you need to do is you need to go to www.bloomx.app. Sign up there. We'll give you an account. And then once you've submitted some very basic identification, you will be able to buy any crypto you want. So we're a gateway to 250 different cryptocurrencies. So it's not just Bitcoin. It's all of the other guys that I've forgotten the names of. You can go from your Gcash wallet 
deposit it into Bloom X app and then convert what whatever it is a thousand pesos convert that into bitcoin convert another thousand pesos into ethereum whatever you want right and it gets all held there for you until you're ready to sell it and it's all peso denominated you don't have to think about other prices we've got easily the best prices in the country if you buy from us you'll be able to save a little bit also and then you just keep it there or you pull it out whatever you want to do that's all up to you now at that point but we are easily the best gateway into this stuff for the average Filipino. Again, your minimum size that you can trade is like 500 pesos. So you don't have to spend a lot on it. You can be very, very conservative and that's fine. I would say just get started because if you're worried about things like inflation, like why is my pesos buying less this year than it did last year? If you're worried about things like that, you just need to start looking outside of traditional money. I think that's the only way to do it. All right. Thanks, Luis, for answering. Those are all my questions. You hit them all in the head. I am so glad I scheduled this episode with you because now things are so much clearer. Thank you so much, Luis Buenaventura of Bloom X. If you want to let the people know again how to get in touch with you or your company, now's your chance. Thanks so much, Chino. So on Twitter... My name is at hello Luis, just spelled exactly as you would expect, H-E-L-L-O-L-U-I-S. And then if you want to go and check out our company, if you want to sign up right now, it's www.bloomx.app. Thanks so much for the opportunity. I've had fun. I hope your viewers found this educational, informational, entertaining, hopefully. I did. So all five people that listen to this. I'll turn this, <laughs> I will turn this into an NFT and we'll let nice. you know if it's successful. Thanks again, Thank Luis. you. Thanks so much, Sheena. Cheers. And that does it for this week's episode of the Class Clown Podcast. That's a wrap. Let's cash out. Let's sell our Bitcoin stocks and thank our wonderful guest, Mr. Wonderful Guest. He's only one person, Mr. Luis Buenaventura of Bloom X. Thank you for taking the time out to explain cryptocurrency in the most approachable of manners. As in, it was just enlightening this episode was. It really was. And again, follow Louise on Twitter at Hello Louise. And also check out Bloom X. It's an amazing product. Right? You who knew you could buy cryptocurrency with Gcash? Guys. Angaling, right? Who thought that would be an actual uh, possibility? I don't know if Gcash is buying some milk tea. You can't get crypto. Like, you know, Bitcoin is booming. With Bloom X. That's a free, shitty copywriting thing for you there. Also, a special shout out to Boss Ron Young of Podcast Network Asia. Because he was the guy behind putting to me and Louise together on this podcast. Ganun kami kamahal ng Podcast Network Asia. Kahit lima lang ang listeners ko. He really, really goes out of his way to hook you people up. So it was just a blessing in disguise having Louise on this very episode. Now for the next few weeks, I am going to return to the world of comedy particularly my little project where I talk to comedians from different scenes around the world. And for this week, we are taking a trip to Mongolia, the homeland of Mr. Shuli, 
just kidding. He's Filipino. Don't be, don't believe him when he says he's Mongolian. He is not. He's just a racist. But thank you again for always listening uh, to my little podcast episode. We are deep into season two, and I promise there is so so much in store. So until next week, this is the Class Clown Podcast, a Podcast Network Asia production, powered, of course, by Podmetrics. I am Trina Liao, bidding you farewell. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. <laughs>